0: All right, welcome in. Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast that comes to you every Sunday because we want to try to deliver Sunday college football content. And as you know, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly Delicious. Find them in your local grocery store. Find them at your restaurants that you visit. I've mentioned solo social. We had Sunday brunch after church there. Picked up the O Susanna, which has Wickles Pickles on it. I love it. They're in Homewood, Alabama. And I love Wickles Pickles. And I just saw on their Instagram, you can go check this out. How amazing would this be? I love fried pickles, appetizer. Fried Wickles Pickles? Never even thought of that. Uh, they've got the, go to just Wickles Pickles on the gram. Go check that out. They've got the recipe there. Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Get a little load of that. Would be uh, something amazing to have around your house for the Super Bowl. Or just get a jar of pickles as big as your head. We always appreciate Wickles Pickles being a sponsor of the show. Also want to welcome in Blue Delta Jeans as a sponsor of the show this week. Uh, BlueDeltaJeans.com, custom denim uh, made right here in the United States. I've got multiple pair. They are amazing. If you're somebody who's a little bit husky like I am and you're a little bit taller and you need custom denim, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you will never go back. You will never have another pair of jeans. Uh, Nick and the guys will take amazing care of you. If you're in Oxford, you can just stop by and check them out or check out one of their pop-ups or you can do it all online, figure it out, bluedeltagenes.com. All right, let's get into what we got going on around college football and the SEC. Tommy Reese is going to be the Alabama offensive coordinator, not a name that we had really been discussing the last couple of weeks with some of the other names that we threw out. Uh, obviously, the Ryan Grubb deal sort of fell through. That didn't happen. Jeff Lebby, I think, was maybe, I don't want to say it was fake news, but some smokescreen with that a little bit because we we talked about the complications of Learning that new offense, he hadn't really done that before. So was that gonna be a good fit for Nick Saban? Yeah, probably not. Talked a lot about Nick Saban last week and sort of mentally where he's headed. So let's break down this Tommy Reese hire. So the numbers around the offenses, they're they're not amazing. Like uh, you know, 41st in scoring offense last year, nineteenth the year before. They were 20th in pass offense two years ago. So I mean, is it incredible? Nah, not really, but I I love the way Tommy Reese manages his offenses, and I think you're getting back to more of a Steve Sarkeesian offense than you are maybe a Lane Kiffin offense, Uh, because I think what you're going to get is you're going to get somebody who uses more motions, more shifts, more trades to find their matchups and make things complicated on the defense. Now, Bill O'Brien did a little bit of that, but just not quite as much as Sark. I've said this before on the show. You guys have heard me say it. Sark told me. He runs a motion-based matchup offense, and I think Tommy Reese will be very close to that. And what better thing to bring in when there's uncertainty around your quarterback than an offense that offers up a little bit more balance? And the, the thing that I think you'll get with, with Tommy Reese that maybe Bill O'Brien didn't have, and some of this is by default of the talent you had other places, and people need to understand that. So the, for the folks that are mad at Bill O'Brien, you had a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback who could handle all of it. Uh, we had Bill O'Brien after the Miami game two years ago. And I remember vi- sitting down with him right there on the spot. And I said, Bill, first question is, it appears as though this offense is going to run through Bryce Young. And most people would think first year starter, second year in college, like you're not going to give him everything. And Bill said, no, no, no. You, you saw it correctly. The offense is going to run through this kid. He can handle all of it. He can manage it. Protections, run checks. Obviously, he can move, can make the throws. He can do everything off platform, all of it. He did everything. So." That was a big piece of it, and now you're not certain who your quarterback's going to be. I think we would all probably lean a little more Ty Simpson or maybe a portal player coming in because Tommy Reese, now your guy, and what they're going to be asked to do and what they're going to need to do, not as heavy on the quarterback run, although he's carried it at times. He's had it a little bit, Uh, but I think that you probably lean that direction just a little bit more. You bring somebody who's going to be balanced. I had a cool conversation with Mike Golic Jr. about Tommy Reese and said when they were playing in Notre Dame, They used to kid around about if you were reincarnated and came back as a different player in a different position, what would it be? And he said, Tommy Reese, every single time said pulling guard. That's what I would come back as. I want to be a guard who pulls around and is able to just knock the shit out of people like that, that. So that's where his brain is. The guy lived with Tyler Eifert and he lived with Zach Martin in college. I mean, imagine just like the football brain power that came out of that house around South Bend, Indiana. Uh, Pretty incredible to think about that. But that's the guy you're getting, is is not someone who's going to rely on RPO, not someone who's maybe going to allow the quarterback to make as many decisions. I mean, go back to Tua at Alabama. This was a lot of it then, too. You had double teams, four or five yards, pushed downfield, and here comes the slant. Boop, going right over the guy's head. So I think your offensive line is going to be allowed to run block, and we haven't seen that at Bama for a little bit. That should be exciting to Alabama fans. The numbers are the numbers. Notre Dame doesn't have the talent that a lot of the other teams that are going to be up in the upper echelon of total offense, and they're just they're, they're going to play complementary football. Where it's Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly, and then you start looking at all right, who are some of the guys that, that Tommy Reese has been around? Well, he's recruited by Charlie Weiss. He's around Brian Kelly. We saw BK did at LSU last year. Uh, you got Elko, head coach of Duke, who was on some of those staffs. Clark Lee, head coach of Vanderbilt, on some of those staffs. I mean, guys been around. Some serious college football brain power. And now you look at all right, why does he take this job? Some people saying, oh, lateral move. What? Go back and look at the last five offensive coordinators for Nick Saban, man. It's not a lateral move. Uh, this is this is one that is going to put you on the map. To me, if you if you think about, I've I've talked to some other people that are close to Tommy Reese, I and mean, I've asked them just about his personality and him, and he is welcoming this challenge. He wants this challenge. He could have stayed at Notre Dame, maybe forever. Now, He's taking some shit from Notre Dame fans. Uh, some of that probably not necessarily warranted, but he should probably recognize he's going to take a lot of that from Alabama fans. Just look at Bill O'Brien and Pete Goldinger on their way out, and what they're getting, a lot of it probably not necessarily deserved. Uh, but he wants this challenge. He wants to come in. Most offensive coordinators get with Nick Saban, and he says, well, here's my playbook, here's my offense, you're going to have to learn this, and then you call it your way. And they say, no, thank you. That's why I run my offense. Uh, I, I think, I, th- I think Tommy Reese wants that. I think he welcomes it. He, he wants that challenge of not just being at Alabama, but having to go learn a new offense and call it that way. It's only going to make him better. Uh, I think if you, if you look at what he's doing right now and taking this job, it's going to be a three-year deal. It's going to average around 2 million a year. You probably won't hear that for a couple of weeks. Um, and I think it's going to be fully guaranteed. So that's another thing you probably won't hear for a couple of weeks, just well. Nuggets there with the Tommy Reese still in Alabama. Um, I think you're talking about a guy who is now going to get his master's degree in football. Like, if we want to, we always hate talking about school with college football, but if we wanted to sort of play it that way here with Tommy Reese, like, he's graduated with honors with what he's done at Notre Dame, you know, with quarterbacks that had to be changed, be different across the course of the year, not the most talented quarterbacks around, using different guys in different positions. I mean, let's be real. Michael Mayer, a tight end, was this guy's ex last year, who's your number one receiver at, at times. That's how he had to operate. Um, and he's made the most with what he's had. So he graduates with honors, and now he says, Well, I want to go get my master's degree. And I'll do that with Professor Saban at one of the places that I know. I mean, this would essentially be getting a broadcast degree from Syracuse. Like you're gonna go work for ESPN. That's just it's what's what's gonna happen. So I think it's cool that he welcomes the challenge. That he wants the challenge, um, and I think you're going to see an offense that is a, a. It sounds crazy when I say this. I know, but is allowed to run ball, and allowed to just run the football. Everything has an option. Everything has a tag. You hear tag a lot. If you don't know what tag is, well, you come in like if if you run if you counter to the right, it's twenty eight. Well. The way that you're going to call that is going to have a certain tag, whereas if I see an uncovered receiver in the slot, you don't necessarily have to call anything. That's a tag. You just, boom, turn and throw it. It's just there. Or there's one quick signal, quarterback can tap. It's a boom, throw. It's there. A tag that goes along with that play. Everything's tagged. But I think you'll have less plays that have options and have tags under Tommy Reese because he believes you have to run the football. And I know there are some, you'll see some things about Notre Dame fans saying that he didn't run enough, didn't do this it's just bullshit. It's, 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 it's just not real. You operate with what you have to operate with. People who say, you know, so-and-so ran the ball too much on first down, uh, became too predictable on second down. It's, it's, you got to go back inside and find situationally what was happening there. Was there a player who was out, not available? Uh, you know, what was the defense showing you? I mean, a lot of times the defense dictates what the offense runs. You get a five-man box, you're running the football. I don't care if it's first down or 121st down, like you're running the damn ball there. It's what's going to happen. It's the way it works. So I think it's a good hire. You've got a young offensive mind who has been around some other coaches that understand the game in different ways. He's probably a little bit more of a thinker that Nick Saban would appreciate a little bit more and, and closer to what Coach Saban wants to be. Now, don't get that twisted with what we said about defense last year or last week saying that Pete and Nick maybe think alike a little bit too much. I still believe that, and I still think he wants to get away with that. We'll go defense here in just a second, but I also believe that Tommy Reese brings in a little bit of that old-school mentality that Coach Saban wants, because I've had the conversation with Coach Saban of, your offensive line is not going to move people if you don't ask them to do that until the fourth quarter of certain games. You can't just run RPO, 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 never hand the ball off, and then all of a sudden say, all right, let's be ground and pound. It doesn't work that way. So um, I, I think it's a good hire. I know it's not a slam dunk hire by name because a lot of people look at just the statistics and say, well, he wasn't where so-and-so was or wasn't where this team was. I still think it's a good hire for Coach Saban. Also trust Coach Saban and believe that a little more complimentary football might help them in a couple of games that are close or tight, give them a better opportunity to go win some of those games. Uh, you look at some of the guys that they're bringing in, uh, you know, C.J. Dupree. I think it's Dupree, Dupree, the tight end from Maryland. Uh, I went back and studied him, and it was interesting to see this higher. Then go study his game because he's a pretty athletic kid, really soft hands, uh, does a nice job catching the football, pretty big catch radius. But here's the part that I think you really need to be excited about: he'll give you all those things. I think he can stretch the field to an extent. I mean, he's not an OJ Howard, um, you know, he's not like what Florida had a couple of years ago. But I do think he's athletic enough to separate in certain matchups. And keep in mind what we just said about Tommy Reese is going to be a matchup guy. You're going to get different matchups with him. Um, he's athletic enough to do that. He has some shit to him in his game. Like he that physicality is there. He wants to be physical. Uh, whether it's split zone, coming across the line of scrimmage, whether it's lined up next to a tackle, inline, short yardage, his technique is not great. So he's not a very good blocker right now, but he's willing. So I think with just a little bit of work, a little bit of refinement, With his feet, with his hands, his pad level, his hat placement, running his feet, driving his feet, staying engaged, a little more effort into it, probably a few more reps with it. I actually think he could be a pretty decent blocker for a tight end, which we just don't get a whole lot these days at any level of football. But I would be excited about that part is, no, he's not a devastating blocker now, but I think he has it inside of him to morph into that because the technique and fundamentals are a little bit flawed. But at least he gives you that. I will put my face mask in your chest and try to drive you off the line of scrimmage. You're not going to have to worry about that with him. He's also a great fit with what Tommy Reese wants to bring into this offense. So, you know, I I, I think it's a I think it's a good get. Um, I think it's a nice hire, and I think it'll help Alabama top to bottom playing a little bit more complimentary football defensively. With Alabama, stay with them for a minute. Uh, Todd Grantham takes a job in the NFL. He was waiting on that. I personally do believe that he was next up and he was potentially going to be the defensive coordinator. If he did take that job in the NFL, he wanted to get there. So now you think about all those D coordinators or former D coordinators that had been on staff, Pete Golden gone, Charles Kelly gone, now Grantham gone, but you bring Austin Armstrong in from Southern Miss. He's been a defensive coordinator. Who do you go get? Uh, Kevin Steele's a name that I think you're going to hear at least be mentioned, talked about, discussed. Uh, because the personnel in Miami just wasn't what it needs to be for him to put a great defense on the field. And that obviously is going to be a good fit. His coach will save him multiple times. Trust him, knows how to run it, but is still just a a little bit of a different thinker than Nick is as far as maybe how he plays things into the boundary, how he plays his safeties. Uh, I think aggressive nature-wise, they're probably right on the same page, but that's going to be the next name that I think you hear as far as Alabama's defensive coordinator. Um, So all that with Alabama. Uh, we talked about Dupree, Dupree, who's coming in at tight end. I had a chance to go back and look at a couple other guys. Uh, I'll start on offense quickly. Uh, I had a chance to look at Sydney. I think it's uh, Funger, the Western Illinois offensive tackle that's going to South Carolina. Um, I don't see him coming in playing right now. I don't see him being an impact guy. I I, I don't think that he is a plug-and-play tackle right away just based on the couple games that I went and watched of him. And I saw him against some higher-level competition. It just It's some of the film's tough to see, to be perfectly honest with you, but just the footwork, not necessarily there. Nice frame, uh, fairly athletic, but technically, fundamentally, and from a lower-body power perspective, I think he's got a long way to go. Would not bank on that one. Uh, Demario Tolan, linebacker from LSU, heading to Auburn. Went back and studied his game just a little bit. And defense... Since we went there with Bama's defensive coordinator, and we're going to go there with a couple of transfers that I studied, I kind of want to go there a little bit further in the show today as well, because I just feel like we've been talking a ton of offense on this podcast and really in all of our college football discussions over the last however many months. Defense just not getting a lot of love, and I feel like it needs to, so we're going to shift things in that direction here in just a moment. All right, so DeMario Tolan. The first thing that sticks out to you is, woo, buddy, he can fly. And he has a little bit of that Reuben Foster in him where he will attack a play earlier than you expect him to. And if it's the right read, he's going to show up before the play has developed. Saw that a few times against Ole Miss and Alabama. And a guy that just flies sideline to sideline will not be an issue when he's in the game. And it's interesting because Austin Keyes, the old miss linebacker that Auburn brings in, he's not going to give Ron Roberts really sideline to sideline to the effect that Demario Tolman is. Uh, I mean, this kid can, can get it uh, when he puts it in fifth gear. Tolman, a little more north south, a little bit more of a banger, a little bit more of a thumper, even though he's got that long frame. Uh, that's just, that's a little bit more of his game. But after going back and watching Tolman a little bit more, I talked to people at LSU and people around the program, I think it's an even better get than I thought before because he can flat-out fly. And when he does diagnose correctly, which is a lot of the time, he can be an impact linebacker. So I think that's a good get there. Uh, when studied Tresman Marshall, speaking of Alabama, um, the Georgia linebacker transfer that comes over to the Crimson Tide, first off, it's a position of need. They don't have a ton of experience at that spot. Uh, that's why Toto was able to come in, and one of the reasons he's such a big loss is not the tackles that he would made, but how he communicated things. Uh, Marshall, another guy that just, I think sideline to sideline, he's a runner. Like, he can, he can go. Good speed. You see screens, throws out in the flat. He's able to get there and cover it immediately. Doesn't back off physicality in between the tackles. Doesn't give you a lot of wow plays. Not a, not a splash guy. But from what I've seen, when I've been able to go and study him, I found a couple of games where he got extensive reps. Very solid. A very solid get, and going to know the defense when he comes in. So obviously, that's going to give you a pretty big advantage. Um, I mean, a lot of these defensive guys, like um, the Omar Spates kid from Oregon State, we talked about him a couple pods ago at LSU. He can run a little bit lighter, but I don't see him as an impact guy. Like he's not, he's not running around blowing people up. And there are a couple physical things where he had a chance to make a player do something and kind of made a business decision not to, which has has kind of steered me away from him just a little bit which takes us into just defense in general in the sec and you know i go back three four years ago where it felt like every single school in the league had a dude up front on defense like a scary scary guy and it's not that we didn't have some this year um you know bj Ozari at, at lsu uh, you yeah, had Derek hall at auburn will anderson at Alabama, you know, Brandon Cox Jr. was coming back at Florida, more edge guys this year, maybe the interior guys, know, Von Dexter was coming back. Some people thought that he was going to be a player. He's going to be able to do some things. People were waiting for Jordan Burch to step it up at South Carolina. That kind of never really happened. Uh, but it doesn't feel like the guys inside are quite as scary across the board as they once were. When I say once were, I'm not talking about when I played college football. I'm talking about like three, four years ago. So let's let's go to a couple of drafts a few years ago. I went and wrote these down. Uh, the 2018 draft, so coming off the 17 season, uh, you had Deron Payne come off the board at 13, Rashawn Evans at 22, Taven Bryan out of Florida at 29. I mean, you went down to 46. You even had like a guy like Breland Speaks off the board. Uh, the 19 draft, so coming off the 18 season, Quinn Williams at three, Jeffrey Simmons at 19, Montez Sweat at 26, Josh Allen Kentucky came off the board at seven. So that's two top ten picks, uh, the twenty draft. So after the nineteen season, this was the year that it really felt like every single team had a guy that scared the shit out of you playing on their defensive line, and most of the time inside. Javon Kinlaw off the board at South Carolina at fourteen. Derek Brown off the board at seven. Marlon Davidson at forty-seven. Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee at forty-eight. Caleb Vaughn Chase on at LSU at twenty. There was only one player in the twenty twenty-one NFL draft that came off the board that played on an SEC front seven. And that was Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. So I don't know if more equity is going into offense. I don't know if more emphasis in recruiting is going into tight end receivers, quarterbacks, running backs. Um, I'm I'm not 100% sure where and how we got here. I do think that there's been a little bit of shift away from defensive laden, defensive minded head coaches in the league that have defensive backgrounds as being a part of it? Because what do we have right now? Nick Saban, Clark Lee, Kirby Smart, Mark Stoops. And then we just got Mississippi State, the unfortunate tragedy with Coach Leach. So Zach Garnett steps in. So five of 14 are head coaches with defensive backgrounds. Maybe that, I don't know what it is, but it kind of got me thinking like, who are those guys now? Uh, now we know J- Georgia had Jalen Carter coming back, but keep in mind, we all thought he was going to be great this year, but we didn't see a ton of it just because all the other guys up front around him were so good two years ago. But he lived up to it, and he dominated at times this past season. Uh, but a Byron Young in Alabama kind of came on late, but I don't think you're game-planning around him. Uh, Colby Wooden at Auburn, he did some nice things at times. They moved him around a lot, but again, I don't think you're game-planning around him. Uh, Dexter at Florida. Okay, but you are game planning around him. Like, who are the guys up front that? And I even take it like to the extent, maybe not even so much the game planning, but like go back to John Richardson at Arkansas a couple of years ago. Um, and then you get another transfer at nose that comes in, plays great, gets drafted. Like even those kind of guys that are just you might not. Well, first off, you got a nose guard, you almost can't game plan around. him. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to use three offensive linemen on every. You, you can't. But those guys who play inside and disrupt, that's why Quentin Williams was so crazy. Still should have won the Heisman, in my opinion. And you can't, there's not a lot of game planning you could do. Like, if you're running an outside zone, you can clamp it. So the guard can block down and the center can pull around. So you're not creating that space where everybody kind of flows together one direction. and He can sneak through and go make a tackle. But even then, when you got a guard coming down to block down. He's getting north and south. All he really has to do is just go engage with that center that's leaving to pull. And the defense wins numbers. You run him off track, you dent him right there, and then you have numbers on the outside and you win. So a disruptor inside can be crazy with what they can do and how you have to game plan around them. Now, you, again, you don't game plan around as many guys inside. And keep in mind, when I speak from experience, played against Gerard Warren, who is a tilt nose, shade nose at Florida, played against Stroud and Seymour at Georgia, Uh Played against Cornelius Griffin at Alabama. So we had some interior guys who could who could go. Antonio Dingle at Virginia. Like, but you didn't, there wasn't a lot you could do to game plan around those guys. Like Alex Brown, we game planned around a little bit. Willie Blade, we game planned around a little bit. So some of those guys you could do some different things with. Who are those guys going to be in the SEC this year? So I just kind of started thinking like defense. There just there doesn't seem a lot of hype about a lot of guys on defense going into this year. Especially like last year, people were predicting that you know Will Anderson was going to win the Heisman Trophy. Still, they had a great year, just didn't make as much noise as he did two years ago, which he was going to have to be just literally superhuman, like Terrell Suggs in the SEC, uh, what he did at Arizona State to even get in that discussion again. So let's run through some of the guys. So if I broke this down, say, how do we phrase this? Top five guys on defense in the SEC that you are going to have to alter your game plan for or that can force you to pay attention to them when you're game planning against that defense. So I'll start number five and it's a little bit of a two-way, three-way tie. I'd kind of say pick one of your A&M kids. Like I personally would probably go Walter Nolan. Um, Seeing 6'4", 320, move around, physically do the things that he can do, He's going to be a guy that because he lines up different places is going to be a bit of a problem. Um, LT Overton, I think another guy is going to be a big problem for that defense. Shamar, Sh- Shamar Smith, I think another guy, uh, Shamar Stewart, Shamar Turner. Shamar Turner are going to be another guy that I think is going to be a problem. Like, I think it was, I'm trying to think what game it was where he stuck out, but. You, you take your pick on any of those guys. They move inside, they move outside, they can rush the passer. I know the numbers, you're going to look at the sacks and you're going to say, what? These guys didn't do a whole bunch. Well, they were young. They were out of position a lot. And it's one thing we talked to Durkin about last year. And he said, I got guys going all over the place, but I love their effort. you love their physicality and they're learning the game. They're learning the speed of the game. So, and Overton, I think was like 17 years old last year, like he's an early enrollee. So that, just wait until this year. That group is going to be solid. I don't know if it's going to be great second, third level, but that group is going to be able to get it. And so I would kind of say pick one of those guys, and I think you're going to have to look at it and say, and part of that would be because of the other two, three, four, whatever, that you're going to say, we, we got to mate as this guy first and might have to alter your game plan just a little bit. Um, four, I would probably go Michael Williams out of Georgia. young, long, twitchy the flexibility is off the charts. I've seen some of this kid do dip and rip where he's like, literally his elbow is touching the ground, come around an offensive tackle when he's like dipping around the edge. I think he's going to be a star. I think he has the making to be a big time player. Uh, I think he's someone that off the edge, you're going to have to look at and say, okay, we got to leave a tight end over there. We got to slide the protection that way. We have to leave a back there. We, we, We have to boot away from him. We have to sprint out away from him, like make him run a little bit more. We have to screen him. So he has to retrack, go back and chase the ball down. All the little nuances that come with frustrating a guy and wearing a guy down at that spot, you're going to have to do it for him this year because I think he's going to be special. And he's flashed at times, but he wasn't an every-down player in every game this year. I mean, he was still someone who was just getting started, so he would sort of be one of those guys that was next on my list. And I think Dumas Johnson, a linebacker, is going to help that a lot because I think Dumas Johnson can be a heavy load blitzer if Georgia needs him to be. So if for some reason the pass rush is not what they want, not what they need, and 10 needs to be a guy that pressures you often, I think he can be that guy. I think he's somebody that you can line him up off the edge. Uh, You can use him, like run up bare front, but have him be the zero nose and he's blitzing, whatever. Uh, I think physically he can hold up doing a lot of that. And he's got the speed and the power to be able to be problematic with it. So they'll benefit from each other as well. Uh, number three, I'll go Mason Taylor at LSU. Uh, I'm sorry, Mason Smith um, at LSU. A guy that last year, I do think he was one of those players we were all talking about, even though we hadn't really seen him play college football. And just physically, when I saw him, I kind of, kind of couldn't believe it. And you know, Coach O a couple of years ago was telling us how like they're going to move him outside to end and legitimately let him rush the passer at defensive end long arms. like I think he's got like a seven-foot wingspan, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, legit 300, 295 pounds, and just put together extremely well. Um, they're, he, he is not the tub of goo that a lot of SEC defensive linemen are, but a guy that I think you can put him at nose, you can put him at three outside shade of the guard, you can put him out wide. He's going to move all over the place, and wherever big zero is, you're going to have to pay attention, and we'll get to A reason here in just a moment of why you have to pay maybe even more attention to him, or it's going to be more difficult to one or the other. But Mason Smith is a big, physical, massive human being that can move, that I think you're going to have to game plan around. And I think getting Makai Wingo back is going to be massive for that LSU defense. So he is another guy that I think you look at and say, Oh yeah, right away, I think that you're talking about somebody who is going to be able to make an impact, be a big time player. And be able to go out and cause a problem right away. Number two, I will go with Dallas Turner out of Alabama. A lot of the spotlight taken away because of what Will Anderson did and what he was. But I don't, Dallas Turner doesn't have the power that Will Anderson did, but he's got more twitch and probably more straight line speed. Now, is he going to be able to hold up and play the run the way that Will Anderson did? Will Anderson also welcomed that, wanted to do it. Like he, he liked the tie-up with offensive linemen. There's not a lot of edge guys. I think that's one of the reasons we've moved into calling him edge. I don't think there's a lot of edge guys that really welcome that, that really want that anymore. So I, I think when you look at just the way he's going to be able to attack, how they're going to turn him loose, he's going to be the dude in that Alabama defense this year. And if you're forced to throw the ball 30, 35 times against this team, you probably expect four or five quarterback hits pressures from number 15. He's, he's that quick. He's got that kind of a jump off the ball. He's got that kind of legitimate juice. And he's not going to have somebody opposite to help, I know, take some of the pressure off. But I think he's going to be able to be put in more positions to be more effective at the same time. Um, which brings me to number one. And we go back to a team that we've already discussed. So if we're talking defensive players that can force you to change your game plan in the SEC in 2023, I don't know how Harold Perkins is not number one. And think about what I already said with Mason Smith. Now, Matt House, defense coordinator for LSU, has big Mason Smith. He's got Makai Wingo. He's able to move those pieces around. And then you have the ultimate Swiss Army knife. You have the ultimate utility player defensively that you're able to just essentially tinker with, toy with. And I've, I, I realize it's crazy because he's not a safety. I like in his game almost to Troy Paulmo a little bit, because I used to think that I used to think Dick. I'm a Steelers fan, and those are some of my favorite teams that I've ever watched. I used to legitimately wonder sometimes, is Dick LeBeau designing a ten man defense? And that 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 sounds completely bananas. I get it, but Troy did so many things on his own. He freelanced so much, and there was he, he didn't tip anything off. Like all of a sudden, you know they're they're showing. Single safety, he's like the one guy on the back end. Next thing you know, he's jumping the snap of the A gap, trying to leap over and sack the quarterback. You just never knew. And I don't know. I definitely don't think Matt House has given Harold Perkins that kind of freedom yet. But I definitely think that you're looking at a guy that in year two is going to have enough understanding of situational football and that defense and the scheme where you might be able to just say a couple of times, Hey, man. Just go see ball, get ball. If you think you need to blitz, blitz. If you think you need to play off the ball, play off the ball. If you think you need to cover the tight end, cover the tight end. Like I could see some of that coming in Matt House's defense. One, because he's got the bodies up front to be able to hold up with fewer numbers, which makes that possible. That I mean, you can, if you have a legitimate defensive line, you can do things like design a defense that way where you have a freelancer. And first off, there's not enough players that are good enough to just be a freelancer. But I think Carroll Perkins could kind of be that guy. We saw him off the edge against Arkansas. He essentially took over the game. I mean, he was the guy against Arkansas that pretty much dominated the football game. And if you have someone who can go rush the passer that way, if you have someone who can play off the ball, get sideline to sideline, make tackles, and then all of a sudden when he shows up in coverage and you know he can be able to go and do different things that way, well, I mean, all of a sudden, what, what are you talking about? a guy that can dominate a game in different ways. So why would you not want to allow him to be able to sort of not allow anybody to have a beat on where he was going, what he was doing, yet go impact plays in different ways on a down-in, down-out basis? So take one of your A&M defensive linemen, Michael Williams at Georgia, edge defender, Mason Smith, LSU, Dallas Turner-Bama, Harold Perkins, LSU. Now, we go back to where our conversation started there, and it's kind of the same story. Where are our dominant interior defensive linemen? Because, I mean, I can go down the list of teams, and Georgia, yes. I mean, Bear Alexander's got a chance to be great. They got a couple of guys. And I don't think Tennessee has a guy that I'm super scared of inside. South Carolina, Eh, Kentucky, not not so much. Zero had a nice year last year, but not, not They're more their edge defenders, off the ball linebackers are going to be their strength. Florida, no. Missouri had him last year. Vandy, no. Uh, now, one guy that we probably should mention in this discussion, I don't know if you'll game plan around him, but Jaheim Otis in Alabama has a chance to be someone who seriously affects what you're capable of doing. He can eat space. We saw him penetrate against K-State. He's pushing, them, pushing them, an offensive lineman like four yards in the backfield. Like Physically, he's capable of doing that. And he's thinking about the fact that this is a kid that went from, I mean, he, he lost like 100 pounds from when he arrived on campus to when he played. Now he's going to have a real offseason of not having to shed all that weight and just focus on getting stronger, You know, getting more explosive, and being better with that weight at the weight that he's at. I think he's got a big year. And he could be somebody that either takes away off what Dallas Turner's getting and gets his own or keeps Dallas Turner from getting a lot of that attention and he gets his own. But Otis is probably a guy we should at least mention in that discussion. You know, State's got a couple of guys that have been around for a while that can play some pretty good football and do some things. Ole Miss, you know, some of the guys I thought were going to be really scary up front are going to be gone. Arkansas, guys up front going to be gone. Uh, and Drew Sanders would have been a guy that's on this list for sure last year. Um. I mean, Justin Rogers is going to be solid for Auburn, but not a guy you adjust your game plan for. So like, I can just remember it felt like 17, 18, 19, 20. Maybe it, just, maybe it was even just 18, 19. Not too far back that every single team had Jeffrey Simmons, Derek Brown, and Williams, like that kind of a guy, Javon Kinlaw, and you were just like, holy hell, what do we do with this guy? Like, can we run the ball between the tackles? Do we have to check our runs away from this individual? Do we have to slide at least, you know, a third of our half of our offensive line to be able to manage this guy? Because we can't block him one on one. Like, what are the? Doesn't feel like there's a lot of guys inside that are going to force you to change your game plan that way. The other thing I wanted to hit quickly, uh, and again, Cube Show Podcast. We're going to drop it every Sunday. Brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. We always appreciate them. Blue Delta Jeans, custom denim for you guys like me. Big husky, long. They're going to be able to help you out. The softest denim you've ever felt in your life. The most comfortable jeans you've ever put on in your life. I have multiple pair. Go to com. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Twitter. Check out everything that they have. You see all these guys around the SEC are wearing them. They got deals with multiple SEC schools. They are incredible. They'll change your life. You'll never go back. Custom, perfect denim for you. Um, so we bring this to you every Sunday. Normally we're going to run through every team, but some news is going to outweigh others with certain teams right now in the off season. So when we get to a little bit more preview stuff or just going over during positions, like we went through some of these defensive impact guys today, we'll begin to get every team back into it. Um, I did want to go signing day just quickly and kind of talk about, you know, some of the work that some of the teams did. I'm not a huge recruiting guy. I'll be the first one to admit, um, but a couple of things that I'll throw out. Really impressed with what South Carolina did. Uh, Moving up close to the top 10, Nicholas Harbor, this 6'5", 225-pound, legit track athlete that they're going to be able to bring in and go edge rusher, tight end, whatever. He's like, I mean, he's a ramped up Jaheen Bell. And I'm just excited to see what they do with him first and foremost. But they're already ahead in the next class as well with a couple of big-time offensive linemen. So Shane Beamer's showing you why a lot of folks thought he'd be great for this job with what he's doing in recruiting. We've mentioned a lot of what Hugh Freeze has done in recruiting. Made up a lot of ground. Uh, They go get Walker White, quarterback, uh, yesterday that committed a four-star QB that they're going to have down the road. So he's making up a lot of ground. But make no mistake, the strong stays strong. And Alabama dominated again. A recruiting class that probably not getting all the love that it deserves you're going to have a safety come in with a chance to play right away. An offensive tackle come in, a chance to play right away. A Juco receiver that's going to come in and play right away. I mean, you got li- multiple impact guys day one that are going to help this Alabama football team. Um, and so I think when you really look at the talent, what's there, what's not there, what can they do, can't they do, you're going to get a couple of guys in this signing class who are going to come in and help right away. Same thing with Georgia. Kirby's not taking second fiddle to anybody. Dominating recruiting. a and a little bit of a step down. but. It's, I mean, still a solid year. And Billy Napier, a better year than people are giving him credit for. Everybody focuses on the Jaden Rashada stuff, but still doesn't pay attention exactly where that class landed, which is not going to be good enough for a lot of Florida fans. I get it. You think it should be top five every year. It's just not going to work that way. So Brian Kelly, solid year. Most teams in the SEC uh, finish strong. And I think you worry a little bit about Arkansas. You worry a little bit about Ole Miss, kind of where they ended up. But with some of the turnover, it was to be expected. Um, So that's today's pod. Uh, Not a ton of news, but wanted to focus in on a couple of guys that I studied. Obviously, some big coordinator news at Bama. We still have defensive coordinator yet to come. Probably get to that in next week's edition. We're brought to you by Wickle's Pickles, wickedly delicious. Blue Delta Jeans. Go to bluedeltagenes.com. Always appreciate their support. College football content on Sunday. And please, if you don't mind, go to the YouTube page, subscribe. I'm supposed to ask for this. I think we actually made it over 100 subscribers. So that that makes us, um, I guess the, we actually exist. I don't know, maybe we're 102 now. Uh, a couple of you guys listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do, please like, rate, review, subscribe to those. We always appreciate it. And we're going to be rolling in every Sunday in the offseason with more SEC college football content. And then in the season, as we've told you before, xo dive into the film of every sec team on sundays we bring you that appreciate you tuning in we're back next week